Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to the Wednesday Buckeye talk. Doug, Nathan, Stephen. Couple different things happening on this Wednesday. Man, it's right around the corner. Woo, it's right around the corner. We're going to talk defensive line. Nathan and Steven were at interviews for that on Tuesday morning. What did we learn? Then we're going to do a little bit of our thoughts on this proposed Big Ten Pac 12 ACC alliance. What we think that would mean, what it would look like. Is it good? Is it bad? And then I want to talk a little bit about Trestle versus Woody. Coaching list Bill Connolly from ESPN had Trestle ahead of Woody. We have Texter thoughts on that. We'll get our thoughts on that. But let's dig in on what's happening with this team on the field. And I will tell you guys that I, I was not able to make it to defensive line interviews on Tuesday morning because I was recording our college football playoff show and I the timing didn't work. Um, I thought we I might be done and I wasn't. But on that college football playoff show, what my co-host Shahan and I did is we ranked all the college football playoff contenders by their best defensive player. Like who's their pick their standout guy. And then who has the best standout guy, right? So for instance, you know, Notre Dame has Kyle Hamilton. That guy's pretty good. Who would you in that scenario pick? If you were picking the best Ohio state defender to kind of put out against everybody else in the world to say, Hey, here's our best guy. How's he measure up? And, and like, wh- however you decide that, like, whatever that means to you, what he's done in the past, what you think he'll do this year, Nathan, who would you put out? Because Shahan and I put out two different people. I guess I would probably put out Zach Harrison, but it's based still more on potential than it is on what we've actually seen him do. Steven, who would you put out? I agree with that. I think. I mean, Haskell Garrett's the safe answer, but because he's the safe answer, he might have a higher floor right now, but Zach Harrison's got a much higher ceiling if he can reach it. So I would encourage everyone to go listen to our Wednesday college football playoff show. This is my plug for that. We could use you guys in that audience. If you at least try it, see what you think. I put out Zach Harrison as like the guy who's around Ohio State all the time. I agreed with you two guys. Shahan put out Haskell Garrett, but Shahan had Haskell Garrett higher in his list comparing where the best Ohio state guy ranks to everybody else. than I had Zach Harrison 
compared to everybody else because Haskell Garrett has Zach Harrison wasn't an all American last year. Right. Like, but I actually had Zach Harrison pretty low, but he, there's a lot, a lot of teams, their best guy is an edge rusher, right? That's not unusual, but I was like, Zach Harrison might be in the top three on this list by the end of the year, but he's not there now. So I was curious where you guys would come at that. So let's start with that again. I wasn't there. I'm going to be learning a little bit. Our texters already got some information about this. Learning what you guys learned. We've been talking about Zach Harrison forever, Nathan. We talked to Zach Harrison at Big Ten Media Days. Did you learn anything more about Zach Harrison, either from Zach Harrison, from other people, from Larry Johnson? What's the Zach Harrison vibe here as we get closer to the start of the season? Well, I think it's been a continuation of things we started to hear in the spring, just of how there's a change that people have seen in him. We see it every time we talk to him in terms of just sort of the the vibe he has the attitude he seems to have. And when you start talking to even more players on the team, you start to get more uh, confirmation that they're seeing something different as well. Uh, That it's some of it is a a more vocal uh, presence. Some of it though, is just that they've seen a little bit of a light go on in terms of what he might be able to do on the field too. So does it, did it add to anything about uh, big Zach Harrison season coming confirm nothing really new, Steven. Like, is it, again, this is the vibe we've been getting since the first time we talked to anybody in the spring. I think because we've been kind of having this discussion kind of off air to ourselves. It's like, what's the story? And the story is, Oh, Zach Harrison's good. Okay. That's not an interesting story. Today was really the first time where some of the answers and some of the information he gave us allowed me to feel like I can write a story on him now. And that's the most interesting part because it's it, Nathan's right. There's a comfort level now. He, he, the way he put it, I've always been this way. I just didn't let all of you guys see it, but the people in this building have always seen this side of me where I'm joking around I'm asking questions at media day and I'm having, you know, side conversations with media members and joking around and whatnot. This is not new. You guys just haven't seen it because I wasn't comfortable around you guys. And then I pulled him off to the side and did a little sidle, which is I'm glad that's back in in, in journalism now. And I flat out asked him because he hinted at it when we were talking to him in the group setting, how much he really hated the recruiting part of all of this. And I basically asked him why he hated it so much. And he was he said, I don't really like to get to know new people. I just kind of have my circle and I want to stick to that circle, which is understandable. You can be like that. And he said, recruiting, you're not really allowed to do that. You have to go talk to all these coaches and get these fake reactions from people and fake love, I think is what he called it. I got to go back and listen to it. This It's kind of this fakeness to the beginning of the recruiting stages, and he hated it so much that he kind of just shut himself off from everybody else. And now that he's three years removed from that and can just be a football player and answer questions as a football player and people are asking him every other day, hey, what you talk to, What coach did you talk to and what did you talk about? It's You're seeing some of that kind of flourish in the media setting. And so I think because that's flourishing, it's allowing him as a football player to also flourish. All right, Tyreek Smith is, I mean, from a talent level, I think is, is – uh, at Zach Harrison's level or practically at Zach Harrison's level. And he's a year older and he's been injured at times in his Ohio state career. Nathan, do we get a read on that today on, on what our expectation level should be for Tyreek Smith, either from Tyreek or Larry Johnson or anybody else? Yeah. I'm starting to get the sense of just the ownership that he takes with this defense now. And it, it was probably already there to some extent, 
but it's never been more apparent for both him and and Zach Harrison that they're the guys now. And you know, especially with with Tyler Friday being hurt, that's even more of that veteran presence that has to fall on them. And he talked about that a little bit today, just about how the, the shortcomings that defense had last year, some of the I don't know if you'd call it criticisms, just the the fact that they felt like they weren't getting home enough. I, I thought that was an interesting response from him today because that's a question that these defensive ends get asked a lot is, you know, you guys have talked about you got a lot of pressure, but it wasn't really turning into sacks. What's got to be better? And his answer to that wasn't schematic and it wasn't, um, well, Larry Johnson will help us. It was more like you've got to go fix that on your own. Like that is your job. Like you're the one who has to get home. Like other defensive ends who were here before, they got home in that same situation. Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you, what can you do in practice? What can you do in your game prep that'll get you there? And I think that could be an important attitude to see guys who are at the top of that depth chart and at the top of the seniority in that room, sort of taking that attitude and passing it on, especially when you've got guys like Jack Sawyer and JTT and Maloa who are going to be looking up to them. Steven, did Jack or JTT talk? No, which I, I wasn't surprised that we didn't get JTT. And I think, I mean, we kind of, some of this is coaches decide who can come out there. And I think the hype train for Jack has gone a little far out there and they want to hold that back a little bit. Plus he got a car. Plus he got a car. He got a car. They said, Jack, either media session or car. Yeah. He, and uh, I mean, I'm not saying that's what I would have picked. I will say this though, as they were setting up and you, you know how they're walking back in as we're setting up since we're on the indoor. Now he like comes over and he's like laughing at everybody else who has to do media while he doesn't have to do it anymore until the middle of the season when he has like two sacks in a garbage time game and they finally give them to us. Yeah. It's have to do media right up until they want to get an NIL deal. Then it's, Oh, can I do media? So maybe, maybe we don't need to do media then that's how they're going to be. They're going to laugh at us. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm out. I'm not, I don't really mean that. Uh, what sense did we get from Larry Johnson about how Jack Sawyer and or JTT Steven will work into this? I mean, we've been theorizing, Hey, Jack Sawyer is probably the third defensive end. They'll probably be in the Rushman package. Like, is that right? No, for now. Cause I asked that like flat out, are those, can those two be in the Rushman package? And he kind of, We'll hold your horses there. It's We'll see. We haven't really gotten to that point yet. I think he said Minnesota is not going to be allowing us to be in that Rushman package very much because they're going to run the ball, obviously. They have one of the better running backs in the Big Ten. But um, And then he also uh, caveated that with, we've got some pretty good defensive tackles who will make their case as well. So I I think we'll see it eventually, but I, I don't think we're going to see it in the first couple of weeks of the season. If I had to predict it right now, it would be Zach Tyreek probably Haskell Garrett and then maybe Teron Vincent. It's just the, that's what, because they both Teron and Haskell have both been working out as a defensive tackle at both defensive tackle spots. So maybe that's just for the Rushman package at this point. Um, there seem to be at this point, it's kind of the tamper the expectations on those two. They're in that mode now. Did you get that sense, Nathan? Like, so beyond the Rushman, is Jack going to play? Like is Jack the third defensive end or did he, did, did uh, Larry Johnson spend a lot of time talking about, Javante to try like are, are they in chill out on the freshman mode I think there is some chill out on the freshman mode I would expect uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste to be pretty involved early on as far as the rotation um, he, he, he did spend some time talking about him and the, the kind of that continued physical growth that he has he's up to 255 right now um, I, I talked to, to John Baptiste too and he's just a, a fun kid to talk to and um, interested to see you know w- what his growth could mean uh from for the depth of that position i i I see that as a position though where 
obviously, I mean, you've got two spots there. So really you're going at least four deep in the rotation uh, to some extent. I, I, I still see Sawyer as being a little bit ahead of JTT just because of the, the fact that he's been here longer. I, I just don't know if I expect both of those guys to be up there, you know, throwing people around against Minnesota, that it might be just a more of a gradual ascent up the depth chart as the season goes along. So Steven mentioned this, the idea of, and I know this is one of the things that you had texted, Nathan, that Teron Vincent and Haskell Garrett said they both are working both spots. Does that mean that you think the two starting defensive tackles will be Teron Vincent and Haskell Garrett because they are making sure that they can play next to each other and that they don't wind up rotating those two guys at three tech and with a different nose guard on the field? I think they want to at least have that option. I don't know if I if I have can make a call on who I think is starting on opening day yet. You do still have Antoine Jackson. You do still have Jerron Cage, who maybe are more, um, what do you want to say, conventionally could fit that spot. But I think the important thing to remember, and I was talking to Teron Vincent about this a little bit too, is that like, you know, it's not like he's some little squirt. <laughs> I mean, he's a pretty big dude that can, when you start, they are as football players, there probably isn't any reason why Tron Vincent couldn't play more nose or, or flip it around. Maybe Haskell Garrett is the one that plays more nose and Tron Vincent stays at three tech. I think they just want to have that opportunity. They want to have that option because this is, there's many positions on this defense where I think we know who they have specified, who they have kind of singled out as their, their main guys, or, you know, that, that handful of guys who are going to contribute to that position. We still just don't know. And I don't know that they know for sure yet how good any of those guys are at doing that job and what the pecking order will be once those guys have to actually perform. So I think it's important that Ohio State has that option to use both. I understand why they're trying it out, and I would expect to see them both play tackle at some point. But whether it's a thing where that becomes a Garrett-Togei sort of pairing where they're playing the vast majority of the snaps, I don't know if I'd make that call yet. I think it might be situational to start the season right now, but as we get into bigger games near postseason time, maybe it turns into the Haskell, Garrett, Tommy Togi, I pairing. If it's clear that those two are maybe a cut above everybody else, but I just think they might just have a rotation for right now. They've got some nose tackles and they've got some three techs. And when they need to throw them both out there, they'll do that. People were driving the bus for Teron Vincent. How'd that bus look today? Did, that, that, did the bus pull up and, and people get off and take a little tour and say, oh, there he is. I drive my bus for him. I'm on yes? it. Okay. Why? <laughs> uh, the first, when he first sat down, I ran over there because I, I had, I wanted to ask him seven questions. I, I prefaced the, my first question was good news. You're healthy. You got a full off season with a spring and, and a fall camp and no, and no pandemic that got in the way. Three, you're healthy react. And his reaction was after we went through a couple of, of exchanges, he, he came to the conclusion of, I was rated the best defensive tackle in my class for a reason. And his vibe and his answers were very much a guy who has been paid. It's, it's I wasn't around when you guys were asking Marshawn Lattimore every offseason of if he was finally healthy and how does it feel to be healthy and can you finally contribute? But I would assume it's the same vibe Marshawn gave off before the 2016 season when he was finally healthy. And it was just like, dude, you finally get to go live up to that top 50 rating. Are you excited? He's just, he's bobbing his head. He's just kind of ready to play football. I I pulled him aside and was trying to get some more from him because it's interesting how his attitude is for a guy who I think from the outside, everyone looks at him as like, well, you've been held back and things really haven't gone your way. And isn't it kind of frustrating? And um, his, his attitude is pretty refreshing. Like he, he's a guy that just brings a, 
a pretty positive outlook on things. But I asked him, I was trying to get some insight into what really went on last summer, and he was hesitant to get into it too much. He, it was pretty close to the season when he had some kind of surgery. He said, that, and then he missed the Nebraska game, he said he was probably about 70% for the Penn State game, which I think might have been pushing it a little bit. So, I mean, just trying to play Big Ten defensive tackle when you're at, you know, not even three quarters health um, is, is not easy. So I, I think he is a guy, the, the word he kept coming back to was confidence, that there's a new confidence with him. And I think some of it is health, but some of it is uh, just being another year older. And the more time that you're doing this, the easier things come, that you re- your recognition of what's happening on the field, how quickly you can react to things starts to become just even more second nature every year that you go through the process. So I think we're, you know, fingers crossed for him uh, just on his behalf as a guy, it it seems to be coming up to the culmination of, of health and also just where his experience and veteran savvy. And then the talent that he's talking about with that answer he gave to you, Steven, like all of that, could come together. I think the important thing is just, does he have good luck for the first time with the health? So if you had to guess for the start of the season, who plays at defensive tackle is it, would you guess that Vincent and Garrett play more than anybody else? And they're like the top of the rotation. And does that rotation, do you think it's four deep? Is it six deep? Like who's in it? Is it is it just the two of those guys plus Antoine Jackson and Jaron Cage, or do you think we get into Ty Hamilton or or Michael Hall or anybody else? What's your sense now of what that group might look like? I would throw Antoine Jackson and Antoine Jackson and and um, Cage Ty Hamilton. Ty Hamilton. No, Ty, Ty Hamilton. Hamilton. We're both listed as champions uh, great as champions yeah. from the scrimmage yeah, on saturday as far as what ohio state was scrolling through the board today they didn't actually tell us who it was but they showed us who it was so uh, i guess people who were paying attention got, got that list of guys and i sent that out to the textures uh 614-350-3315 so uh, that tells me that both of those guys are are actually doing the things that in camp that would get them noticed would get them in the rotation so i would expect I would, I would expect at least five deep with Hamilton getting in there to some extent. It might be a little bit like what we saw in 2019 where you had really three at the top and then guys like Garrett uh, farther down the list. I guess even Togiai was farther down the list at that point are, are starting to flash and starting to get, you know, not um, an abundance of reps, but real reps. So I, I'm thinking right now something that resembles more like that. But as far as I think in that first game, I don't know how much I think that Vincent and Garrett will play side by side again, just because of the kind of offense that Minnesota has, it might just make more sense to go with someone who's more of a run stuffer than what I assume Vincent is right now. And I would playing s- him and Togia, him, him and Garrett side by side. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say cage Jackson and Hamilton are noses. Um, and then obviously Garrett and Vincent are both uh, three techs. And then I'm interested. I think Noah Potter might be, like the distant six guy in that room, if they get the three deep at both spots, he's definitely inside now. Yeah, he's inside. Which I think was almost all. It sounds like that was always the plan with him to be one of those defensive ends who eventually kicks inside. Weird to see a ninety-seven inside though. That's, Wasn't Nick like inside one year? 
not with really. the with the Rushman package, yeah. but not necessarily the normal. Yeah. It okay. That's <laughs> very weird. Uh, Michael Hall not as involved at this point as, for instance, Hamilton is as two young guys. Not that no. we could see. I mean, and not that they said. Not that Larry Johnson talked was, about. Yeah. And the, he didn't go out yeah. of his way to talk about any other freshmen, really any of them, even Jack and Tate. It just was going to come up and he knew that. Okay. So we have not talked much about Haskell Garrett. We assume he's going to be good. What's the vibe from him? What's the what's Larry Johnson saying, Nathan, about Haskell Garrett, who is like the returning All-American on this defense? I, I didn't get over to Haskell's table. He was talking at the same time as Larry Johnson, and I haven't gone back through the, that interview yet. Uh, as far as Larry Johnson, I think it's it's interesting to watch how over the course of, of Garrett's career, there's been this shift from, like I was saying, 2019. You're sort of this deep rotational guy. Maybe you, I remember him sort of, he had like one good moment that season where I think we got to talk to him in, in midweek interviews. And then last year, all of a sudden, just announcing some with some presence, the uh, announcing with authority, his presence last year. And then now I feel like he is, you know, he's this elder statesman and he's the guy that there's a lot of responsibility on to sort of set the tone in that room a little bit. Obviously, the defensive ends have their own agenda in some ways. But now, just with with Togi leaving, I think it, it's it's a, it's an opportunity for him to not just sort of um, the, the the opportunity there is it for and the reward are both there. Like if he were, were to do what he thinks he can do, which is you know have take last year as sort of a foundation and build off of that, use that as sort of a stepping stone to more, considering he's had you know a healthy off season and a full off season and not this dramatic, weird, uh, scary off season. That there, you know, if he can come in in even better position than he did last year, what that can mean for that whole defense if he is now actually playing at that sort of all-American status for that no one can deny. Nathan, you mentioned this briefly, the the champions that were rolling through from the scrimmage on the video board. Again, you sent that out to the texters. Was there anybody that jumped? I saw Demario was on there. What was there who jumped off the screen of like, oh, like the, what what did you feel like you learned? from the list of champions you kind of mentioned already, you know, like Ty Hamilton being on there feels like maybe that that showed a little something. What else did you learn from that list? Yeah. And, and just to preface, we, we, there's some names here that you might think would show up and it could be that they just weren't playing. So, you know, Garrett Wilson, seven banks, Baker Munford, we have reason to believe that they may not have been participating on Saturday. We're not sure. I thought it was important. You know, we talked to Ryan Day. He mentioned specifically, I asked a question about how the defense looked in the scrimmage. He specifically mentioned the young defensive backs as stepping up and this would seem to be where they kind of put their money where their mouth is to some extent because they they have five cornerbacks that they mentioned and it was you know uh the mario so but he's only been playing the position for a short time and then legend cavazos denzel burke um um jk johnson johnson and ryan watts i mean so it's it's young it's freshman and sophomore defensive backs that were grading out as champions from this game and i think that's important even if garrett wilson wasn't involved they're still going up against some pretty good receivers and if they're grading out as champions i think that's a a positive thing because that's obviously been something we've already talked about is okay yes they've got more depth how good is the depth how much can those guys really step up and contribute at the front of a big 10 defense um cj stroud was the only quarterback included so that kind of gives you again some more insight into the way he was separating. Um, all the running backs seemed to be pretty well. Did uh, Mayan? Teague, did Mayan grade out? Williams. I not see Mayan Williams listed. Okay. So again, this is not could, an official press release from Ohio State. But correct. in reading your text, 
the fact that Master Teague and Trivion Henderson were on your list and Mayan Williams wasn't was something that I made note of. Whatever that means, I noted it. Do you think we should note that? Yeah, because they didn't have to put that up. They could have took that off the board when we walked in there. Yeah. And not had it labeled Ohio State scrimmage champions with a bunch of pictures scrolling by on them. Like it was a, 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 a what are those things called? Um, whatever, whatever. Pictures when they, whatever. Point is, they didn't have to have that up on the, on the jumbo screen when we walked in there. They could have easily taken that down. Yeah. Okay. PowerPoint. PowerPoint. I don't know. That was rough. I use yellow, rough. yellow legal pads. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Well, I think we got a sense of the defensive line. I think we got a sense of kind of what's going on, you know, what's going on with the fighting Buckeyes. And so we'll take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the potential alliance. Do we like it? Do we like this as something shaping up to battle the SEC? And we will do that next on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, Doug, Nathan, and Steven. Try the text again. Oh, boy, we love it when we see the text numbers going up and up and up and up. It uh, warms our hearts. It pays a little bit of the bills, right? I mean, it, we got we have to make money or we can't do this stuff. Um, but it's just nice to have a bigger family. Our family's growing. So we appreciate it. We love our numbers on the pod are going up. Man, like we can tell when you guys get geared up, baby. Woo, it's good to see. By the end of last year, man, the pod numbers were through the roof and they stayed really nice and high through the summer. But it's taken up even more because we know there's some of you that, you know, just for whatever reason, I don't know what it would be that you're slightly more interested in college football in like late August than you are in, say, June, when we're still doing five a week (laughs) because we love it, because we love it. So let's talk about the alliance. Let's talk about the alliance. This is a term that. We heard very early, as soon as Texas and Oklahoma left the Big 12 for the SEC, as soon as that popped and everybody was like, oh, does the Big Ten have to expand now? I didn't hear expansion. I heard scheduling alliance. And that is the phrase that is now being used. And it's maybe not just scheduling, but it's kind of like working together in multiple ways, which is basically scheduling plus like TV negotiations and playoff expansion discussions, which is just to be a firewall against the SEC taking over the whole world. So Nathan, we did a pod that was very popular and very well listened to. It's a, it was a sizzling headline, but it was also a good discuss, discussion. Should Ohio State join the SEC? And our listeners, our tech subscribers were very much not in favor of that. I think it was 77% said no. What do you think of this idea of the Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC getting together to schedule games and work together without anybody leaving their conference? It's something that's already happening in other sports. You know, football is an animal. We've already seen it successfully, I would argue, work in um, basketball. I mean, prominently, whether you're talking about the uh, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, whether you're talking about the the Gabbitt games, you know, that's been a way for teams to ensure that every year, every other year, they're bringing a marquee home, home stadium. That's more about season tickets and things than it is about what we what the football thing is going to be about, which is about TV. But this is an idea that makes a lot more sense to me and has made a lot more sense to me from the beginning than, for instance, the people who were calling for Kevin Warren's head and demanding that he go out and get um, Iowa State and whoever else to join the Big Ten. This seems to make a much more common sense way and a potentially more beneficial way to go about 
doing what the end result was always going to be, which is solidify football schedules. To be honest with you, I'm shocked that this is just now happening. I understand that you schedule, especially these big major non-conference games, you sometimes schedule those seven, eight, nine years out in advance, but you could still do that. You could just schedule years out in advance by conferences of, hey, we're going to pair together in 2028 with the Pac-12 or with the ACC, or you could even do it before this all happened, even though with the SEC and the Big 12, I, you would have thought this would have been a thing where conferences would start pairing up with each other. It didn't have to be a yearly thing like it is in basketball because the scheduling doesn't work that way, but you could pair up with a conference and it could just rotate who you pair up with every single year. Again, I've talked about it before. The Doug Maurice SEC Big Ten Challenge that I played on my PlayStation 2, like in 2008, when I sent letters to Jim Delaney and uh, who was the old commissioner of the SEC? Mike Slive, I think, and said, like, you should do this. I agree. But I also like from Ohio State standpoint, listen, we're viewing it through the Ohio State lens, which also I think happens to be like the best lens to view this through. It's like, let's look at this from the... Oregon State perspective. It's like, no, that's not what this. Let's think about what's best for Wake Forest. It's like, no, this really is not just because we cover an Ohio State. This is an Ohio State discussion because guess what this is? I can't remember. I apologize. We have not talked about this much, right? Is that right? We have not have this is correct, right? No, correct. Because I can't remember because we have talked about it a bit on the playoff show. But like, this is. This is Ohio State. They're the point of the spear on this thing. Like, I'm not even so sure that, like, if Ohio State didn't exist, I don't even know if you could have this conversation. Because it's like, okay, we're getting the band together. It's like, do you have a lead singer? It's like, no. But we have four rhythm guitars and nine guys who can hit the hi-hat. It's like, someone has to sing. Who's singing? And in the SEC, they're like, the lead singers are like, kicking each other off the stage and it's like it's my just like one direction it's like it's my turn to sing now it's like everybody gets a part texas it's not your turn texas stop the stars at not or it's not your turn texas and in the big 10 everyone's just going for like a year and no one's singing except ohio state can sing So it is through the Ohio State lens. It is through the Ohio State lens. But from that Ohio State lens, Stephen, I do think Ohio State has liked bouncing around, right? So there was a time, I think it was for 2012, that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 talked about this. They actually put a scheduling alliance together. And then the Big Ten went to nine conference games and punted on that and said, no, we're not going to do that. So they did actually think about it at a time. And at a time when it's like, you know what? We have too many games against Bowling Green. What could we do that's cool? You do this. But then you don't want to limit yourself in a world where it's like, hey, we would like to play. You know, like they have the Alabama game, the right. series scheduled now, right? They have the Notre Dame series the scheduled. Georgia one too, yeah. They've, they've, they've played Miami in the past. They've played Virginia Tech. You know, like you just you they've played Texas. They've played Oklahoma. They've played Washington. They've played USC. They take the best from everywhere. So from an Ohio State standpoint, I could understand not wanting to get pigeonholed into something where you're always playing a conference thing. But as you said, Stephen, you could have moved it around or whatever. I loved the idea of making it competitive, just like the stuff we do in basketball where you count it up at the end. All right, you've got 12 teams, we've got 12 teams, or you've got 14 and we've got 14, and 
guess what? We, you know, we won nine to five. Cool. Like conference pride. I love that aspect of it. This is not conference pride, Nathan. I said, conference pride. What's that? Who makes money off conference pride? Nobody. This is cash, cash, and TV ratings, mostly cash. But I do think it makes a ton of sense because as we said at the start, guys, why are you adding Kansas State soccer just to get like a little better TV revenue because you put a couple better games together? This is the way to get what you want the most, which is football inventory, without shaking everything else up. And I do think an important point here is if you don't do alliances, nobody can get stronger without making somebody else weaker. So if the ACC at this point, the SEC said, we, we are murdering the Big 12 because nobody's talking about the Big 12 anymore. I don't know what Oklahoma State's going to do. I have no idea. Nobody wants them. The SEC murdered the Big 12. So when you, when you witness a murder, I guess you have two. This is life lesson, kids. Write this down. When you witness a murder, you have two choices. You can either turn to the person next to you and just murder them because it's like, well, I guess we're doing murder now. Or you can grab the hands of the people next to you and say, let's make a let's not murder each other alliance. So, Nathan, I kind of like the let's not murder each other alliance because otherwise the only way for Ohio State and the Big Ten to combat something is to like steal North Carolina and Virginia from the ACC. And the ACC is like, what are you doing? Or like go say, hey, we're taking Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, and Washington State. It's like, cool. Now Rutgers and Washington State are going to have a field hockey game. That's silly. This is, isn't this far better? We're not pro-murder. As many people want to murder me, we're not pro-murder on this show. I, I, I don't, maybe there's not a, Great option, but of the available options, once the SEC has done this, this def an alliance feels like much better than anything else. Yeah, well, but especially though, because I, I think you put up with murder. I think you accept murder. I can't believe we're going down the line with Buckeye this talk. I think you <laughs> accept murder, Buckeye talk. I think you accept that if it demonstrably makes your conference stronger. But I think all of these wild scenarios that I was hearing in the days and weeks after that was a bunch of scenarios that not only would have caused a lot of strife throughout college football and, and, and hurt these other conferences, it would have potentially diluted the big 10. It diluted it competitively or diluted it from a financial standpoint. Again, like adding, I don't like West Virginia just doesn't move the needle for me really. And especially from a, from a money standpoint, now everybody gets less money. So you can add West Virginia. I don't get it. So this is, I think the, the common sense solution. And I think again, what's this is all coming down to, the SEC against everybody else anyway, right? So instead of having like one giant thing, this an alliance allows everybody to kind of keep their geographic identity, but then work together for the benefit of everybody but the SEC. To keep the SEC from murdering again. Yeah, no, they're on a rampage. They are, if this was Star it's Wars. More, it's more a kidnapping are, than a murder. No, it's a, it's a murder. It's a kidnapping and a murder. They murdered somebody to... Uh, to execute the kidnapping. I mean, ask Oklahoma state and Kansas state, if yeah, it was a kidnapping or a murder. Uh, okay. So here, maybe we should just, maybe we don't want to be blase about murder. We're responsible. Yeah. Let, let's let's <laughs> now the one thing I, the one thing I will say is this, like, so before we get more into the scheduling stuff, let's talk about like just the idea of like, we're going to vote together. 
right? That there is the playoff expansion discussion and there's all the TV rights around the playoff discussion. And this is your opportunity to stop the SEC ESPN steamroller. So the Big Ten has a great relationship with Fox, obviously, that Fox is, a, is part, as an investor, is in the Big Ten network. Fox has a good relationship with the Pac-12 as well. The SEC is, or the ACC is mostly ESPN. But everybody, like, you can figure this stuff out. Remember when, like, the SEC used to be CBS, and now it's like they're just going to be all ESPN, whatever. If you want to try it, and this is what everyone's saying, if you want to take the, the playoff to market, you can't just let it be that the SEC works with ESPN and they take everything. So you have to create a voting block. So one of it is like, we're going to vote together. And what we're going to vote together on is just like to chill out a little bit and not let the SEC steamroll. Because I mean, what the S- what's the SEC going to do? Be like, we're going to make our own championship. I don't think that serves the SEC very well, right? When you have a lot of like the media markets you've got, because the non-SEC has LA, has New York, has Chicago, has Seattle, has, right? I mean, like, that's that's a lot of stuff. So I don't think the SEC can just be like our way or the highway as if the other people are united. But if they're not united, nobody individually is strong enough to stand up the SEC. Monetarily, the Big Ten is, but not competitively. And maybe, like, Clemson thinks that they're as good as the teams in the SEC, but does Clemson want to go be just, like, another brand in the SEC, or do they want to retain their place in the ACC, which is not as good of a conference. They need some help. So Nathan, I do think that's important. And that gets to sort of this playoff expansion. I think everybody wants playoff expansion. The SEC needs it because Oklahoma is not joining the SEC for a four-team playoff to be like, oh, cool. We used to like have a clear path. And now it's like, if we don't beat Bama, we can't go to the playoff because they still want champs. The SEC needs expansion, but the Ohio State's been left out of the playoff enough times. They want expansion. The Pac-12's ignored in the playoff. They want expansion, right? Who doesn't want expansion? Everybody wants it. But these other, other conferences, the alliance, may have to slow down expansion in the name of making sure it's fair, making sure it's equitable, we'll take a hit. And then it's like, well, we'll let some deals run out and, and make sure that ESPN and Fox and everybody gets to bid on it. And I do think there's a way like the Super Bowl is not on one network. The Super Bowl, the NFL is on multiple networks. And then all the networks that cover the NFL rotate getting the Super Bowl. So guess what? College football is on more than one network. If it's going to be on ESPN and Fox, then we can rotate how the playoff works. And so it's not a fully ESPN property and how you divide it up, maybe everybody gets half and then you rotate who gets the championship game each year. There's a way to figure this out, Nathan. They, they, we see what, how it could work, right? But if you're going to get it figured out, you have to do it now. You can't let the SEC steamroll and then try to change it after the fact. The reason they have to do the alliance now is like this is the chance to put up a wall because once the SEC is over the wall, I mean, you, you're not, you can't ask them to go, could you guys put your ladders back up and please go back in your territory? That's not how it works. So I do think from that standpoint, the stuff that's not about scheduling, but is standing together for like the future of what college football looks like, they have to stand up now. Yeah, there was, again, from our, from our texters and, and other parts of the Ohio State fan base, there was a lot of, not I shouldn't say a lot, but some reaction at the point where Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the Big 12 where, hey, why, how did Kevin Warren let this happen? Why didn't he preemptively bring them into the Big 10? And why didn't he like 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 uh, like the Big 10 just got caught completely off guard by this, which maybe they did. But 
I, I think if, if Ohio, if Oklahoma and Texas thought that they were better off in the Big Ten, and that's probably where they would be right now, or they would at least made that overture first. So I, I, I don't think that this is kind of a, it may seem like a reactionary move, but it seems like a smart one to me that you've seen, you know, the SEC made its move. It made its maneuver. And now you have to fortify yourself, like I said. And I think what you say there is astute, that there's not any one conference right now that can stand up to the big, to the SEC, including even the big, 10 that as much money as the big 10 has it doesn't have the football cachet that the sec does so you have to kind of make an end around this is like it's like a flanking maneuver right like you're setting up you're, you're sort of moving the battlefield a little bit and to where you can set up something stronger so okay that's like financial stuff and i do think i do think it, it, when you read people and 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 people talk about this i do think a lot of people think that it might delay that we thought the playoff was going to start in 2023 it might delay that because I think the contract actually runs out in 26 and you might just have to wait for that. But for the long-term health of the sport, maybe that's a sacrifice you have to make. And by the way, that would like kind of screw Oklahoma for three years, which is like, Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I don't think anybody's too worried about that. You know, set up, make it harder for Texas for a couple of years. Right. So I do, I do think that's possible unless you get everybody to like agree. And again, there's a lot of networks, but there's more money to be made. Right. Everybody makes more money the sooner you go to 12. So as long if you can get everybody on that thing, can we just tear the stuff up and work together almost as if we had a commissioner or something, which they don't. I think it could work. And by the way, it's like, again, a lot of criticism for and just here's the thing. And I don't we don't want to make a bunch. We're not going to only do murder and war analogies. It's just college football TV stuff. But like a lot of times when something happens, just because somebody does something first doesn't mean like you were totally wrong that you didn't make the first move and you can counter punch. It's okay. You can get stung by the first shot and be like, man, I didn't, I did not know you were going to hit me. I wasn't prepared for that. Maybe I should have been prepared. I should have had my hands up, but I didn't, but it doesn't mean it's over. And listen, I can't say that the, the new PAC 12 commissioner, he's a new guy. He's newer than Kevin Warren ACC commissioner. He's a new guy, except he used to be an AD in the big 10. Everybody knows him. You don't think, I mean, for real, you don't think Gene Smith was on the phone to Jim Phillips, the former Northwestern AD, who's now the commissioner of the ACC, like 10 minutes after Texas and Oklahoma did this and was like, dude, what are we going to do? Like, it's very easy. And then Kevin Warren's new. So, by the way, Greg Sankey, Greg Sankey shivved everybody. A lot of murder and war analogy. He, he, uh, he, uh, let's do paintball. He shot everybody with the paintball gun first. Maybe not even that. Maybe like a nerf thing. It's like a sucker punch. Yeah, because he's been around, man. He knows what's up. And, and it's like he he owns the block. He's sucker. But now the new guys are, have time to get together and rally the troops. But the new guys, one, if they fight, just like in the movie, in the karate movies, you can't fight one by one. Why does everybody take their turn going after the guy? Everybody go at once. Or, or individually, Greg Sankey is going to kick you in the face every time. He's going to Trey Sermon you. So I do think that 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 is I think that's what's going to happen from a scheduling standpoint. A lot of it are people said now, hey, maybe the SEC, they did extra conference games last year. People like everybody contracted in the pandemic and did conference stuff. And people were kind of like, this is kind of cool. I like more conference games. I actually am not sure. I think there's a world. This is just me theorizing where this would mean fewer conference games for Ohio State. And the Big Ten, because here's what I think the ideal thing would be. If you're going to do this, you're trying to create better inventory. What's Ohio State's worst inventory right now? Purdue. Matt Gaines. Minute, oh, yeah. uh, but I mean, like they need 
they need a Mac game because they still need somebody who's going to come yeah, get two paid million 2 million game. bucks and do yeah. the thing. Their worst inventory is crappy big 10 teams because those are all, you go to ours, we go to yours, yeah. but it's not that attractive. So I actually think this to me would be the best thing that they could do. And, and here's the thing. When you bring in Oklahoma and Texas, you could theorize. So that's, all 24 of those games are now pretty good, right? That's because true, yeah, yeah. you're getting 12 Oklahoma games and 12 Texas games. So even Oklahoma Vanderbilt, well, Oklahoma's still in it. Even Texas, Kentucky, oh, still Texas, right? Where that's why if you bring in Kansas State or Iowa State, it's like, man, Iowa State, Purdue is doing nothing for anybody. But when you do these alliances, you're going to wind up the best teams playing the best teams. You're not doing an alliance for Ohio state to play Oregon state and wake forest. You're doing an alliance for Ohio state to play North Carolina and USC. And the next year they play Washington and Notre Dame. And the next year they play Oregon and Clemson, right? That's why you're doing it. Well, while you're doing that, Purdue has to play somebody. Rutgers has to play somebody. So that is not going to be as valuable inventory, but like, I don't like, you've got to suck it up, right? Like you've got to do the best you can do, but I do think the best thing in the end for Ohio state, this to me is the right schedule in that scenario, eight big 10 games, not nine, not 10, eight big 10 games. And you now treat your ACC and your PAC 12 games like conference games. They're there every year. So you have 10 set games every year, eight in conference, one against the ACC, one against the Pac-12. The best teams are going to play the best teams. The middle teams are going to play each other. And the bad teams are going to play each other. One's on the road. One's at home every year. Maybe you do it late, right, Stephen? As you were saying, like, you don't have to set those up 10 years ahead. You yeah. can do like basketball does and say, okay, well, we're going to try to figure out kind of who's supposed to be good. We set know the conference is early, but then yeah. you decide, you maybe decide in January, okay, Ohio State's playing USC this year while Michigan's going to play Oregon. That's how you, but the, you, you know, you're playing that conference. You just don't know the team you're going to play until that January. Cause you want to make sure you get the best possible games every year. And you can set up Ohio state is playing at home on September 11th and on the road at September 18th. Right. You can set that ahead of time and then fit everything around that. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have eight conference game. You have two of those one pack 12 and one ACC every year. Then you have one other non-conference thing, Alabama, Georgia, whatever. Don't I, I don't think punting on those is the answer. This should not mean that like the ACC, Pac-12, and Big Ten never play the SEC in the non-conference. I hope that's not it. And if you happen, like if you do the Notre Dame rivalry still, that's fine. Do that. And just ha- So still do that. And then you have one crappy game. Then you have your Mac game. You have your home Mac game to make money. And that's your 12-game schedule. And I think that's better. So you're losing a West game. Ohio State's losing. All right, instead of playing Illinois, we're supposed to play Illinois as our third West game. We're now, and we're going to play Illinois and Tulsa. We're going to play Illinois and a middle non-conference game in this world where they play non-conference and three non-conference. You replace Illinois and Tulsa with USC and Florida State. And that's better inventory. And then I'm sorry that like Illinois was going to play Ohio state. And now Illinois is going to play Washington state instead of Ohio state. But I'm sorry. Like that's not, that's not what the deal is. 
But I, I, I think that makes sense. And all of a sudden, you have better value for the fans. You have better value for your TV partners. And you can you can put out a product with your best teams. Because again, let's not remember, let's not forget that sometimes an SEC game is Mississippi State versus Tennessee, and they both suck and nobody cares, right? We don't have to pretend that everybody in the SEC is Alabama. Nathan, I just think that's I just think that I, I can absolutely see how that makes sense. Absolutely yeah, see it. And it's great for TV, great for all three conferences. It's how they do in basketball. I mean, the, the, the Big Ten AC challenge is based on the stature of the programs. You don't see, um, you know, uh, Penn State when they weren't very good in basketball matched up with North Carolina or Duke. Like nobody that game does nobody any good. Like literally nobody. It like it like sets back the sport of basketball to play that game. So but now you can you can. I mean, honestly, I would say that that's positive for Illinois too, frankly, probably to lose the Ohio State game and get the Washington State game until their program is at a place where they belong on the field with Ohio State more consistently. I think that makes the conferences healthier all around because now you can take away some of those mismatches, which we try to pretend that they're not mismatches and and give um, and give them a more equitable game. I think that's probably beneficial. You still get the same gates. Yeah, you don't probably you aren't going to get the same gate from a, a Washington State home game as you would from an Ohio State home game because Ohio State would travel better. But you, you get you're getting. I don't think economically you take a hit. You you benefit from a financial TV package. The the positives seem to far away whatever you think the negatives might be. And then from a in a world where you're having a 12 team playoff, I mean, it makes that competitive too because there's no extra layer of oh Clemson got in because they played this easy schedule. No. They have a bye week because they played Ohio State and they played Oregon in the regular season. And then they also played one other quality, you know, non-conference opponent. And obviously they won and then they won their conference as well. That's why they got a bye week. There's no more. It takes away any type of complaint somebody would have for who got buys, you know, who was a six seed, who was a 12 seed. While also presenting an opportunity for I don't know, whoever the fourth best team is in the ACC to maybe jump up and surprise some people one year. And the option for Purdue and Rutgers and Illinois and Minnesota and Maryland and Nebraska and anybody who doesn't like it is it's either this or Ohio State's going independent. It's either this or Ohio State's going to the SEC because that's not. And so and all you're losing. Right. So the, the East teams, you just really hunker down in your division. You get two crossovers. So the, the crossover games, instead of a playing a team like once every whatever, three years, you're playing a crossover team once every four years or whatever. But you're gaining this stuff. And listen, and by the way, you don't have to. Ohio State doesn't have to play USC every year, right? It's just Ohio State would probably never play Oregon State. Although they just played Oregon State a couple of years ago. But like Ohio State, well, but, Arizona well, State is fun. Yeah. Ohio State. You know, again, Boston College on a year when Boston College is being sneaky good could be fun, right? There are a way to make these games fun that it's not only that Ohio State's going to play Clemson and USC every year. And guess what? Like Clemson, Wisconsin is fun. And Penn State, Virginia Tech is fun. And I mean, Washington and Michigan are playing this year. We're seeing it this year. Washington's playing Michigan and Oregon's playing mm-hmm. Ohio State the same year. But I do think the only way, the only way you have any chance to make anybody other than the people who graduated from Wake Forest and Purdue care about a Wake Forest-Purdue game is if the ACC Big Ten Challenge 
is like tied six, six. And this is like the, the eight. It's one of the eight o'clock games on Saturday. And it's like, holy crap, let's go Boilermakers. We're trying, right? So even that, even the game that you think nobody would care about, you know, Indiana had a home and home with Virginia a couple of years ago. I didn't know who cared. Well, if it was for the ACC Big Ten Challenge, I suddenly care some mm-hmm. as opposed to caring zero. So, Stephen, to your point, it, it, when you talk it out like this, which is why I played it on my freaking PlayStation 15 years ago, when you talk it out, it's like, man, what took so long? But I think everybody was afraid to lose the flexibility. They schedule so far out in advance that – you can't decide who's good and who's not good. Mm-hmm. And people were so concerned about the conference stuff. They used to be so concerned about, I got to get my seven home games. So I've got to have two crappy teams. And this is just changing the equation a little bit. But Stephen, like the more you talk about it, the more it feels like, how did we not get here a decade ago? It never made sense in the 21st century why you scheduled games so far out to an extent, just because, your bank, even with right now with the, the Alabama Ohio State series that they're going to do, it's very exciting because you're projecting that they're going to be the teams they are now eight years from now. Now, they probably will, but there have been plenty of times where teams weren't necessarily the, the team you were when you scheduled it. TCU, Ohio State game. TCU was good. They were okay. But I think there was maybe a little bit more excitement around that game when it was first scheduled than what it actually ended up being by the time you got to 2018. And so – this is a better way of doing it to go. The Big Ten's going to play the Pac-12. We don't know who's going to play who yet, but the best team in the Big, Te- Big Ten is going to play the best team in the Pac-12. Eight years from now, that's going to happen. We'll find out exactly who those two are in January 2029. But for now, just know the best two are going to play each other, and it's going to be a challenge, which also you know helps the ante for the Rutgers you know, Arizona game, because that might be the deciding game and who wins the series that year. I know some of the coverage, Nathan, has been like, well, it's sort of in the theory standpoint. And if it doesn't make sense financially, if they don't think they're going to get the boost financially from it, like it's not going to work. But the way we we're talking about it, I don't see how they wouldn't make more money. Right. Like the, the, the Ohio State. Who is it this year? It is Tulsa, right? It's actually Tulsa. No. Who is it? Tulsa, right? Tulsa, Tulsa Oregon. And Akron. So the Tulsa game and Buffalo is the kind yeah. of game that makes that really does nothing for you. Right. There was a time when you could theorize, well, the mid-tier game or whatever, it just does nothing for you now. So it's like you punt that game. And frankly, again, would you rather be involved in a in a in a coast-to-coast challenge or would you rather play a third game against the West? Ohio State would rather be in the coast-to-coast challenge. I think there's a million ways where if you if you line this out and presented at the TV executives, Nathan, how could you not make more money? How could you not make more money than what they're doing now? And you increase the value and you up the ante in a million different ways. And I just think it is going to happen because I think there's too many benefits to it. Yeah. I mean, the games like state USD, I mean, the big networks are going to want a piece of that, but you also then are getting better games for the ones that trickle down to like the big network level. Right. Like right now, I would argue that what you were talking about, what were you saying for Purdue, Wake Forest or whatever, or Rutgers, Arizona, like those might not get on ESPN or even ESPN too, but if they're on like Big Ten Network, that's a better game there than um, Purdue against Indiana State or whatever complete crap game it would be there 
as it is. Like, I think it's just from the, from the bottom up, I think it's a better deal. And it's a better deal than just like, Hey, um, the ACC, the big 10 and the PAC 12 are going to like divvy up the remaining eight big 12 teams that nobody cares about and try to say like, Oh, cool. Uh, uh, TCU and West Virginia and the ACC now. And now that's, I, I just don't, that's not adding value well, to anybody, I don't think. No, I think that is an interesting question, though, exactly what is going to happen with the Big 12, because notice they were not involved in these discussions as far as we know. It was ACC and Pac-12, right? Like the, there are some Big 12 teams, however many of them are left, three, however many there are, that are just kind of like I, – I, I'm curious what the resolution is for them. I do think there is, in the end, a resolution for them that becomes a – just a very Texas heavy conference again that, and then you figure out exactly where, I mean, I think Oklahoma state goes with them pretty easily. You figure out like what happens, Kansas, Kansas state, Iowa state TCU. is a little tougher, but like, but TCU Baylor, maybe you pull um, up Texas Houston. tech, but like Houston and SMU, there's enough teams down yeah. there. UTSA, U, Texas, San Antonio, there's enough teams where you can make like a, and, and, and then you're trying to get like one of the one of the bids, right? That you're more like the American or whatever. But like TCU, I think if you're if you have TCU fans who are like, man, we're you know we're playing all our, all these people that we can drive to all the games. They're all in our backyard. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to kick their butts so we can win the conference and get to the playoff and try to you know be an 11 seed and knock off Clemson. Like I think there is some value in that. I don't I don't think they have to fall off a cliff, right? I think you can the Big Twelve maybe isn't a, a power conference. It's not, it wouldn't be a power conference, but I think, you know, the top teams of the American are respected. So the top teams of this new big 12 would be respected because you would know not everybody can, can play with the big boys, but the top two or three each year can, and then you just make it a Texas heavy conference and, you can and bring back the Southwest con- conference. No, I mean, there's a lot of that too. Like, that's the thing that people who have talked about smart people who have said like, Oh, it's like, Oh no, the big 12 was like the big 12 was, the Big 12 is just smushing two things together like mm-hmm. 30 years ago. It's not like the Big 12 is not like the Big 10 that was founded. It's like it's the Big 8 in the Southwest Conference, and they the Southwest Conference screwed half their teams before. This yeah. actually would get back to more of that. And so, you know, I think, I think there's a way for this to work. But also at some point, not to be a jerk about it, but like the commissioners of the Pac-12 and the Big 10 and the ACC like cannot be that worried about Iowa State. That just is like on the list of things that they're concerned about. That is not at the top of the list. And I don't mean to be a jerk, but like maybe Iowa State just needs to become the best team in the MAC. You know, like get a rivalry with Northern Illinois. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. And that sounds crazy right now because Iowa State's in the top 10. But I, up until the last three years, nobody would have argued against yeah. that. I'd be like, man, they should be in the MAC. So. Well, I think the thing that would have made some sense would be just a, like some kind of merger with the AAC. I would think that could have made some sense to me, but that doesn't seem likely. So some of the bad blood that's out there with everything that Bowlesby, Bob Bowlesby, the, the Big 12 commissioner, has alleged about ESPN's involvement with this. So I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. But listen, the Big 12 is an idea. Except that idea employs Bob Bowlesby. So Bob Bowlesby is like, how dare you? raid the big 12 it's like i don't care whether the big 12 is absorbed by the american whether the american is absorbed by the big 12 whether they want to call it the american 12 and call it a merger like 
Who cares? The end result might be that Bob Bowlesby doesn't have a job anymore. So I get that he's mad, but is Oklahoma State that mad? It's like, we got to find a freaking conference. That no. We have to find somebody to play. Yeah. So let's patch it together. Also, I take back what I said before. This, this wasn't a raid and it wasn't a kidnapping. Like, you can't kidnap someone when they're standing on the curb with their suitcase waiting for you to come get them. Like that's what happened with Oklahoma no, no, and Texas. They weren't Listen, kidnapped. It was Yeah, for the, for the paperwork to kidnap so they could collect the insurance. It's yeah. Right. It's not. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't that. Yes. It wasn't that Texas and Oklahoma were the victims of anything. It was that the SEC wiped out everybody else in the big 12. So they could kidnap voluntarily so they could run away with Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. We're, we're mixing our all poorly formed metaphors that I'm taking very. Tragic can we go back to <laughs> Nathan saying you can be okay with murder as long as you do X, Y, and Z said every dictator in history. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and now we're comparing Greg Sankey to dictators and that's not what we mean to do either. Yeah. It's just college I'm a benevolent dictator. Yeah. <laughs> said every dictator ever. <laughs> can I, can I say this by the way? Go ahead. Again, on the list of words that Doug doesn't know what they mean, benevolent and malevolent. Very different. Yeah. Mean yeah, very the different. opposite. And I get them confused. That's bad. That's bad language making. Right. Benevolent is nice. Malevolence bad. Right. Yeah. Right. How confusing is that? Not really. It's not confusing at all. It's like there's there's all sorts of words that like have the same root, but are different by how you. Yeah. Like there, there and there, your, your and your. It's like flammable and inflammable. Yeah. And I guess. So malevolent, like mal is bad. Malevolent. Yeah, I was hearing yeah. say that. Yeah, it's then, like malpractice. That's that and malevolent, like bell. Like that's good. Like that's like that's malevolent. Yeah. Sure. That's a uh, that's language corner here on uh, here on Buckeye. They're getting everything today. They're getting history lessons. They're getting crime. They're getting English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a true crime podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're getting everything. <laughs> That's the grammar. Be... It's the grammar guys with True Crime Weekly. We're just going to mash as many possible podcasts into one. This is such a great Wednesday pod. And I mean I would, that wholeheartedly. I would not be against a True Crime pod about conference realignment. That is that couches everything happening in college football in a true crime thing. We could go like who killed each conference, <laughs> and it is. And most of it is that it's it's that it's that we thought it's that Texas killed everybody, and then also yeah. like ruined its own life because it had anger issues. And that was the end of the discussion. All right. In favor, in favor. And, and like, so, so let's, let's boil it down to this. Like Nathan, do you think this will happen? Do you think like the end result of this, whenever it is, and I know uh, Ralph Russo from the AP wrote a good column about it. There's a meeting coming up in September of the playoff expansion committee, where they've got to talk about some stuff like this. And then we have this, another whole committee coming up later in the fall that's meeting to like des- decide what the future of NCAA governance looks like again, insanity. It's like, just, it's just, a, it's a bureaucratic joke of like a committee to decide is the NCAA ineffectual. It's like, that's all, of course it is. The fact I, you have the meeting proves it. Do yeah. you think like this is where it ends up? Some, some version of what we just talked about. Is it sort of like the, at least for now, final solution 
where and by the way, I wanted to make sure I made that point. This is Ohio State like leading the resistance. There's no doubt about this. This is instead of joining the SEC, it's Ohio State leading the resistance to the SEC and Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State, USC, Washington, Oregon falling in line and saying, yeah, what they said. Do you think this is the end result? Something will come of this, yes, because, again, regardless of what machinations they put into effect here, like people are going to look at college football now beginning in when, whenever Oklahoma and Texas get there, and I guess the lawyers are still figuring that out. But whenever they get there, it's going to be the SEC against everybody else in the terms of a lot of people just observing college football. So that's going to be the perceived reality, and it makes too much sense for them to to lean into their half of that and say that there's a lot for these other programs to benefit from if they if they band together. I don't know that it's I don't know that it goes quite to the extent that you're talking about. I don't know that it will get like annual between the Big Ten and the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Maybe it would be every other year. I don't know. I, I think, but I think some version of this will happen because. Th- the reality is the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 do need to sort of find a way to stand up to the SEC because if, if unchecked, I think the SEC probably would continue to sprawl. One of those things, like if you don't go, I think you can't do half measures though either. It's like, hey, what's your answer? It's like, oh, we're going to play the ACC. Like you have to change your schedule. If it's about inventory, you can't just, because they're already playing a big time non-conference game, Ohio State is. So if you keep playing nine conference games, which includes like a crossover West game against a lousy team, and one big non-conference game, it's just that big non-conference game is always going to be against the ACC or the Pac-12. That actually diminishes your inventory because now Ohio State's not going to play Alabama and Georgia. Like, unless you're really changing your inventory, you're not gaining much. So, I, so like, that's a good point. I, I know what you're saying, Nathan, but it's like, well, then what are you doing? What is the alliance if it's just like one game a year? Well, you're already like, what? Well, uh, you're just putting it in a box because everybody always, like we already said, Indiana already played Virginia. Rutgers already played Kansas, you know, like, who, who I think it was Washington state that Rutgers played the other year. And like, it's like, they're already doing that. So you have to go a step beyond that, I think, but I do think it ends. I do think it ends with something like this. And if anyone needs advice again, I played it out on PlayStation two 12 years ago or whatever it was. And it worked out pretty well. All right. We're going to talk Woody and Trestle next on Buckeye talk. Doug, Nathan, Steven, I was blown away by this. And not every texter was blown away by it, which why it became something I thought we should discuss on the pod. Bill Connolly from ESPN, who does great work, SP Plus, great analyst of college football and smart creator of content. Got got us talking about it, did his top 100 coaches of the last 50 years. And he did not say that this factored in to his thinking. So, so I'm not giving the benefit of the doubt there because like, for instance, Woody Hayes, career started more than 50 years ago, right? It's like, if we're really only going 50 years ago, it's like, all right, well then we're only counting Woody from like 1971 on. Well then, okay. But that's not what he said. It's like, he was counting like sort of anybody who was still had their careers and he was counting the totality of their careers. But Nathan, he had Jim Trestle 15th on this list. He had Urban Meyer fifth, Nick Saban one, Bear Bryant two, uh, Bobby Bowden three, and now I got to look. Tom Osborne four, Urban Meyer five. I didn't have a, an issue with that top five. I couldn't understand the reasoning of Trestle over Woody. Now Trestle has four national championships at Youngstown State. That of course counts. Their overall records, when you combine Woody, 
pre-Ohio State plus Woody at Ohio State and then Trestle, Youngstown State, and Ohio State combined are actually pretty similar. They're both like, you know, winning percentage around 800. But Woody's national titles at Ohio State, at least three, maybe five, if you count the two that I, uh, I respect Bill Conley. He didn't count them, but Ohio State kind of counts them. But Nathan, the thing that is hard for me with all this stuff is when you are the guy to me that like created the program, it takes so much for someone to pass you. Now, Saban did it with Bear Bryant, but Saban did it by winning like five national titles. Well, Trussell didn't win five national titles at Ohio State. So that's the threshold to me. It's like Bear Bryant is the ultimate program builder, statue kind of guy at an all-time place whose legacy permeates every part of that program today, but yet Saban did top it miraculously. I just would never, it would never cross my mind that Jim Trestle would have topped Woody, that Jim Trestle or that Jim Trestle's Youngstown State titles would get him over the top of Woody when Woody permeates every single thing about Ohio State, and I don't think this list knocked Woody down for punching the guy. So what was your initial reaction? I was shocked, and I'll get to the, I did send the texters a, a poll about it. I was shocked at then any Ohio State fan who responded and wasn't shocked because plenty of people responded and were like, oh, of course, it's Woody, of course. But I just think it should almost be like 100 to zero, and it's not 100 to zero. What's your view on making a comparison like this? I was pretty surprised by it, too. I guess it is being – Jim Trestle probably extra props for those that time. I mean, there was a time when I was growing up, I knew about Youngstown State football, which is saying something because I had no reason to know about one double A football, but I knew about Youngstown State football. I knew that they were kind of, they were like borderline the Alabama of double A football while he was there. And they were dominant force in, at that level. So not quite to that extent, but a similar analogy. So like that counts for something. I think, you also give Jim Trust some credit for was it? It's one national championship, but then two other losses in the BCS championship game. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So I mean that that counts something for me too. That that even though they didn't win those games, they were getting to the championship game regularly under him. So, but again, like you say, I mean Woody Hayes is an enduring name in college football. Maybe partially because of the way he went out. Um, but it, again, if you're going to hold that against him, you have to also hold against Trussell the way he went out, which also was not exactly in a blaze of glory. So I, I don't know what criteria puts – I just feel like Woody Hayes is a name synonymous with college football and kind of always will be. And Jim Trussell will be kind of a respected name in college football, but not nearly as like seminal to college football as Woody Hayes is. I would – Want to say maybe the record against Michigan might be the tiebreaker, but I don't even think. I mean, Woody played against a much more competitive Michigan program than what Jim Trust was got had a chance to play against to some degree, and it's just it's the it doesn't make sense because you're saying Woody is college is, is such a synonymous name with college football. Well, he is the name to talk about with Ohio State football. Everything that we do, even with stuff we actually do on the spot with Mount Buckmore and Buckeye Fly Effect, it's before Woody and it's after Woody. And so everything that happens after Woody is just a long lineage of great Ohio state coaches, whether it's Woody, whether it's Jim Tressel, whether it's Urban Meyer, and we'll see where Ryan Day ends up being a decade from now, but it all starts with Woody. 
Now, some of that is time. There's been more time between Woody Hayes and Jim Trestle and the way that the way things ended for Trestle, that affects probably how much presence he has visibly around the program, around campus or whatever. Uh, so that's a factor there too. But I think you're right that again, it's, it's which, how, which of those guys is the spirit of their program. And I, yeah. I Woody Hayes still is that. I mean, mm-hmm. he just is around Ohio state football. He just drips off of Ohio state football everywhere you look. I, and like, of course, but, but like, I think Trestle would be like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. How could you possibly put me ahead of Woody? I should have called. Hey, Trash, you want to come on and talk about how you're not as good as Woody? But he would. I mean, he would yeah. because he would come on and explain why that why that is the case. And you know, I mean, he was only at Ohio State for ten years. I mean, Woody was at it for twenty eight. And I'm not diminish. I don't want to diminish Youngstown State, but also I just don't think you can count anything at that level as like a one to one, right? With what you do at the highest level, I, I don't. I don't think. I mean, I get it, but. Lots of coaches don't start off down there. And like if Nick's, you know, whatever, right? I mean, if if Jim Harbaugh coached at that level, he might be really good too. And, it, and it's, it's not to diminish it, but it doesn't count the same. And so I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't know that it's a great discussion. I thought, again, just the Bill Connolly list, it's like, I wish some of it I don't, he has Bill Snyder eighth. And it, it's one of these things and it's hard. And, and I know um, we got into an argument on the college football playoff pod last week when we ranked coaches and Shahan had, we had, we ranked, there were eight teams in the mix at that time for us. College football playoff contenders this year, best coach, ranked the best coaches, whatever that kind of means to you, whatever. But Shahan had Ryan day last had him eighth in that group. And I had Ryan day third in that group behind only Saban and Dabo Sweeney. And I was saying at the very least, I think you have to have Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley like right there with each other that I think I had day third and and Lincoln Riley fourth. And I think Shahan had Lincoln Riley third and day eighth. And most of his point was like, Ohio State is such a great job. Ohio State is such a great program that, you know, like it doesn't do it itself, but you have so many advantages there. Now I'm talking about the other people ahead of both Trestle and Woody. Like Bill Snyder, I think sometimes we can give too much credit. Yes, I know Bill Snyder created Kansas State football basically out of nothing. He's eighth on the list. I know Lavelle Edwards created BYU football basically out of nothing. He's 10th on this list. But also, like, come on, man. Like, what do you like? This list is very the way that people vote for Coach of the Year awards. And I just like he raised the standard. It's like, okay, but. This guy was winning national titles. It's not his fault that the expectation there was to win national titles. And, and like, I get a lot of my stuff is like, do you think Woody couldn't have done the same thing at BYU that LaFell Edwards did? It's like, <laughs> but it's like, oh, well, he did. Well, because he wouldn't take that job because he was too good for it. And I'm not saying LaFell Edwards couldn't have gone on to a bigger job, quote, bigger job. I just, it, I, I do think, Stephen, I think you're right. We do see this enough that. There's too much credit given for turning a zero into a 70 and not enough credit given for turning a 70 into a hundred. And I understand zero to 70, that's 70 points and 70 to a hundred. That's only 30 points, but it's not the same ratio. Yeah. Cause you got to keep, when you're going 70 to a hundred, you got to maintain that a hundred. 
which is a lot harder than to, you know, ramp something up to something and then maybe it falls off and you just got to ramp it back up again. When you're consistently trying to keep something at 100 and maintain greatness, which is what every athlete will tell you in the world, the easy part is getting there. The hard part is staying there. Yeah. Also, when you're at a 70, you're not judged against anybody above you. You're not expected to beat those teams. Once you right. get above 70, now you have to keep beating those teams that are up there to stay up there. And as we said, as we've covered on a couple of the Buckeye retalkables and everybody, you know, who knows anything about Woody knows, it's like Woody has three titles, maybe five. If you count them all, he's probably have eight, you know, like, you know, they beat if the Supersofts win at Michigan in 69, the Archie team should have at least one, mm-hmm. maybe two. Right. I mean, this, 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 and, and I'm not saying that's underachieving, but I'm saying like, you know, if you're given credit for getting close, man, this guy, this guy had Ohio State like in the mix all the time. They had the little law in the 60s, which, as a texter pointed out, they turned down the Rose Bowl bid in 61 and it kind of blows a hole in the program a little bit. And then the six, the Super Softs in 68 bring it all back. But they had the five year stretch in there where they weren't at the same level. But man, like almost three decades of it. It just, I just wanted to talk it out. What do you guys think? The vote, I said, how did I phrase it? Who would you rank higher on a list of greatest college football coaches taking into account their entire careers? Got a lot of votes. How many, what percent do you think Woody won? Woody won in the vote compared to Trestle. It was just Woody versus Trestle. What do you think the percentage was, Stephen? We'll go with you first. Woody to Trestle and the textures. You said you weren't shocked by how people initially reacted, right? No, I'm saying I, I... my reaction would be like, I'm shocked by this. And I sort of expect every single person to agree with me. Okay. I think the vote should be a hundred to zero. How could you think that if you are making a list of the greatest coaches to ever coach at Ohio state in their totality, of course, Woody is one. Now here's the thing. Woody is one based on the Ohio state. If urban's higher on this list, because of Florida, like urban's, and, yeah. it's two titles at Florida. The Ohio State comes into it, but I still think so. That's I'm not arguing that Woody should be ahead of Urban when you think about all the stuff. But I I'd had that conversation too, actually. I'd, I'd had that conversation too because Urban never sort of built something that because you know he came in after Spurrier. Florida he had started every, to do he something. basically just he's, enhanced everything that was he was a enhancer. steroid basically. Um, I would say 85-15 Jim Trestle because I'm leaving. I mean, oh, Woody because I'm leaving room for that. Some of our texters are just younger. Okay. Nathan, what do you say? I'll say uh, 73% Woody. Yeah, 75. Good for Se- you, Nathan. 75-25. When, again, I would have guessed 95-5. So we don't have time to read a lot of the answers. I read through them. Good responses. I get it. But, again, it's one of those things, like as Nathan pointed out, well, if you're holding the ending of Woody against Woody, then you have to hold the ending of Tress against Tress. So like, it's not that. And it's just, it's just performance. It's just performance on the field. And I just think, I don't know how many there are, maybe 12, maybe nine, those guys from that era who just like built the programs into what they are, right? And I just think those guys to me, you just have to view them differently. You just have to view them a little differently. So I was very surprised by that. And it's such a head-to-head comparison that you make a list and you stack them on top of each other. And you're like, oh, I think Trestle and Woody are both right in this range. Hmm. I'm going to put 115 and 116. Who do I put first? I'll put Trestle first. I'm like, I have no idea how you do that. 
it almost would make more sense if there was more separation, right? It's like, well, I had Trestle. I just think Trestle's accomplishment make him a top 12 kind of guy. And Woody, I thought he had this or whatever, and he's not in that range. But like when you stack them on top of each other, there's just no part of it that makes sense to me that you wouldn't have Woody first. And then we could argue again, this is, it is different, Nathan, right? When you're doing, I'm not arguing Urban should be behind Woody, even though, you know, Urban, but Urban's winning percentage, Urban's three titles in a, in a relatively short period of time. Urban's like ut, ut, utmost success at four different programs. Like the minute he gets there, he flips the script everywhere he goes. Now, he didn't flip it at Ohio State necessarily, but he certainly enhanced. He flipped it everywhere else. That is hard to argue against. But, you know, Urban's got three stops before he got here. I just I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. I don't know. I just working stuff out, I guess, maybe just working it out. But I was shocked. Okay, Mount Buckmore Friday. Cornerbacks and defensive ends. Defensive ends is fun. Kind of obvious, a debate at the bottom of the top four. Cornerbacks is a grind. Cornerbacks is a calculus test. So we are not going to spend. That's what we're going to do half and half. I think we'll we'll try to have fun with the defensive ends, and then we'll try to talk out the cornerback thing in a way that like doesn't make all of us crazy and make you guys not enjoy listening to it. Because the thing with the cornerbacks is – there is this Ohio State has this cornerback reputation right now, right? That we know what this last 15 years of cornerback play, 12 years, let's say, of cornerback play has been like. And you certainly could do a list that doesn't include any of this recent run, but it might make you feel like a crazy person. And then it's just hard because none of us were around to cover it. A lot of you listeners were around for it. If we're like grinding on guys in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, it can make you feel like a crazy person and it's not as much fun. And I also sent the texters 20 people to choose from. I can't believe I did it. What are your thoughts on Neil Colsey? I don't want to. Hey, did uh, school just started, kid? Did you uh, finish your math homework? No, I had to do my quarterback homework first. Doug said I had to decide if Ahmed Plummer or Nate Clements was 16th or 17th in Iowa State quarterback history. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just didn't want to be, I didn't want to offend Ahmad Plummer by leaving him out. Who? Yeah. I mean, it's, he's like a as really, Nathan, really, as Nathan offends him right after that. Ahmed Plummer, like a great player, great player. Does he have any chance to be in the top four? No, of, no, of course not. Of course. But he might have had a chance to be ninth, and I didn't want to like to exclude his chance to be ninth, so I did it. I apologize. It really is supposed to be a fun sports podcast. I will not make any of these as much homework as this one was. But that's what we'll do Friday. A couple guests coming Thursday. Brett Ciancia of a Pick 6 Previews among them talking about what he thinks about Ohio State and some other national contenders this year. Thanks to you guys for listening. On behalf of Nathan and Stephen, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Dog.